Hi, welcome to a new podcast for The Lancet Neurology, which will accompany our May 2020 issue. I'm Gavin Cleaver, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Dr. Meng Chuan Lai of the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto, and he's going to discuss his recent work on autism. Uh, Meng Chuan, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So in your recent work in The Lancet Neurology, you and your co-authors look at the heterogeneity of autism and its variable long-term outcomes. And you talk about an approach to care and support that acknowledges the dual nature of autism. Tell us a little bit about the overall aim of intervention and support for autistic people and explain as well this duality view and how it might shape the support that's provided. Autism is a neurodevelopmental condition, as we all know, that uh, initially has been characterized as a medical disorder, but now people realize that uh, it may also represent uh, differences in terms of cognitive and behavioral characteristics. However, there is uh, some increasingly polarized opinions, uh, especially in the past few years, kind of like suggesting that you could view autism as either a medical disorder uh, or a uh, human differences. These uh, likely polarized opinion may not be so helpful when it comes to adequately supporting different needs of uh, a variety of people on the autism spectrum. So we think it is important to find a common ground to provide adequate support for a variety kind of people on the spectrum. And the idea of dual nature actually is taken from the idea of a duality of light. So it's not helpful to view light purely as a wave. Uh, or as a particle. It actually is both a wave and particle. So what we're arguing is that the social model of disability or the medical model of disability for autism actually can coexist. And what is important is to find the common ground for support, which is alleviating distress associated uh, with living on the autism spectrum and improving um, people's adaptation, considering both the individual characteristics and the context so the duality view is very important for consideration how to optimize the fit between the autistic person and the environment. And the ultimate goal is really to promote the well-being of all autistic individuals. So you and your co-authors, you, you propose a framework that has three pillars of evidence-based care and support for autistic people across their lives. Uh, tell us a little bit about those and what, what's the focus of those pillars? So, so these are really uh, a, a post hoc uh, conceptualization of the current evidence-based intervention models. And uh, we propose that the support models can be categorized as three. One, uh, the purpose is to, minim- to, I'm sorry, to maximize uh, the p- potential of the individual. And when we say maximize the potential, we mean the goal is to facilitate the individual's development and building of skills. And the second goal is to minimize the barriers Uh, for the person's development. So these could be removing communication barriers or other barriers that have negative impact on the individual's well-being, such as the health conditions occurring with autism. And the third goal, which is really a fundamental one, cutting across all support, is to optimize the person-environment fit. And this is really taking a socio-ecological view uh, and the social model of disability to understand that in order to best support autistic people, we need to address not only individual factors, but also the socio-ecological background to create a really autism-friendly context. So you talk about the evidence base for intervention and support and how it's gradually improving. And in particular, interestingly, you highlight the growing evidence base for early interventions. Tell us a little bit more about these early interventions. Like what's available now and what improvements might we see in the future? 
So early intervention for autistic people uh, has uh, existed for more than half a decade already. And the very initial models take a mostly kind of like purely behavioral learning-based approaches. For example, the very conventional structured LOVAS model of applied behavior analysis. And, and then over the years, there are increasing appreciation of the need for considering the developmental aspects. So there are also developmental models or uh, integrated models combining both behavior principles and developmental science principles, such as the category of what is called naturalistic developmental behavior interventions. The challenge in this literature is that uh, it is very variable and the, the whole intervention literature is characterized by more single case studies than the group-based randomized controlled studies. A very interesting and important uh, systematic review carried by Lorna French uh, in 2017 actually found there are 48 randomized control studies focusing on, intern for, uh, on early intervention up to 2017. And among them, 40 of them actually are published after 2010. So the field is gradually catching up with um, the randomized controlled trial study design. But most of the intervention trials are actually pretty small in size. So the median sample size of the trials are 36. And uh, there's a, another very important uh, meta-analysis actually published after our review here uh, by Michael Sandbank and colleagues. And they found that in the early intervention literature, if we don't really take into account the quality indicator that much, then most of the models report a positive effect. However, if we restrict the studies into the randomized controlled trial designs, only the developmental and the naturalistic developmental behavior interventions that show a positive effect. But if you're really strict looking at the studies that has minimal risk of bias, then actually no consistent findings uh, can be found to suggest any kind of early intervention absolutely shows a positive effect. So this sounds a bit distressing, but also the, 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 the literature is growing and there are more and more group-based uh, RCT that has been uh, conducted. And among these, now we know at least for those who focus on caregiver-child interaction and synchrony, uh, for those who focus on joint attention and engagement, and there are a paramediated co component, these are the treatment models or early intervention models seems to be most promising. So these could include, for example, the, uh, the JASPER model, joint attention, symbolic play, engagement and regulations, or the PACT, preschool autism and communication therapy, or very likely the Early Start Denver model, or pivotal response treatment and its uh, derivatives. So basically, we need more randomized control studies in the future, and we need to adapt the designs to address individual differences and their responses to the early interventions. Well, so beyond the early years, then, uh, what are some of the targeted interventions that are available to help autistic people to build skills, you know, enhance relationships, and, and gain independence through their lives? So the target intervention category uh, is more focused compared to the early intervention ones. And uh, we think there are at least two or more than two big categories. One is what they call uh, social skills and peer relationships training. So these uh, are usually group-based models and people participating in the structured uh, curriculum to learn knowledge about peer interactions or social interactions. The outcome of these are usually positive, but uh, it's more obvious that people gain more social knowledge, but whether that translated to the actual behaviors in life or in different contexts is still quite unknown. 
The second uh, category focusing on increasing uh, abilities in terms of social cognition, for example, about emotion recognitions, emotion understandings, or mentalizing abilities, or imitations. There are also a range of other targeted intervention models focusing on leveraging the uh, interests and strengths of autistic people uh, to facilitate social interaction, for example, the Lego therapy model or social robots. But what is important actually to uh, understand this literature using the duality model is that these uh, targeted intervention models are focusing on individuals who are on the spectrum and with the assumption that when you increase their ability in social interaction and trying to help them fit into the neurotypical social interaction style, that's helpful. But whether this is really the only way to do it or a social uh, intervention model should actually account for the social ecological context to facilitate uh, the neurotypical person's understanding of autistic individuals, then that actually has a, has a downstream effect of improving the interaction. That actually is also important. So I think there are all more work to be done um, to, to be integrated into the existing targeted interventions. So are there any evidence-based pharmacological interventions available for the core disabilities of so, so far, there aren't any that are approved in any jurisdictions uh, that, uh, in terms of pharmacological interventions, targeting at the core characteristics of autism. There are some ongoing clinical trials, for example, focusing on uh, the excitation inhibition um, balance of the neural systems, like medications focusing on glutamatergic system or GABAergic systems, or there are medications focusing on the oxytocin or vasopressin system or serotonin system. And for example, the largest uh, phase three trial now is ongoing is focusing on the vasopressin receptor. Um, so uh, basically, there's no medication that has been proved so far by their ongoing work. And what is important is that the latest, largest clinical trials actually take uh, the adaptive functioning related to social communication as their primary outcome instead of autism characteristics per se. So there's also a bit of a paradigm shift in the uh, pharmacological uh, treatment uh, studies for autism. What are some of the approaches that could be considered uh, to help reduce the communication difficulties? Are there evidence-based approaches available for autistic people to cope with these challenges, like sensory experiences, uh, restricted repetitive behavior and interests? So for communication uh, or enhancing communications, uh, there's a category of what we call augmentative and alternative communication systems, which we argue should be made available to anyone who need it. The evidence base of, the, of that is uh, still developing and it's not that uh, solid, unfortunately. But there are some systems, for example, uh, a low-tech system called Picture Exchange Communication System, basically using pictures to facilitate the, uh, the communication of statistic people that has been used for decades. Uh, recently, because of the technology advancement, there are uh, speech generating devices using tablets or uh, laptops or phones. These are also being developed and being used. So there are more and more uh, communication interventions that can be helpful, and it should be incorporated into um, uh, clinical trials for other interventions to, become, to be used uh, in combination. In terms of sensory issues, primarily, these are addressed by sensory-focused intervention, for example, some aspects of occupation therapy or sensory motor um, trainings. 
Uh, however, the outcomes of these are all usually restricted to the target of the sensory motor intervention. So it's not the case that if you take a sensory-based intervention, that would uh, definitely improve the, all aspects of autism-related uh, challenges. In terms of the restricted and repetitive behaviors, uh, we know that not all of these uh, behaviors need to be treated because many of those are actually beneficial for autistic people. Many of them actually reflect the learning style. Many of them are actually actually a self-regulating behaviors. It's only when these repetitive behaviors uh, is what we call ego dystonic, meaning that um, it's, it's hard to stop. And although uh, autistic people would like to get rid of them, they just cannot. For those kind of uh, repetitive behavior, well, in a way similar to uh, the obsessive compulsive disorder uh, symptoms, we know modified cognitive behavior therapy could be used for some, a group of people who have this presentation. There is still so far not sufficient evidence for medication treatment. However, we know that uh, some of the uh, SSRI medication may be effective for adults, but uh, not so much for autistic children. So moving on from the evidence base a little bit and looking at some of the kind of broader issues, people with autism very often have co-occurring health conditions. So what are some of these conditions that commonly occur with autism and how can they be addressed? So these are really critical issues in terms of healthcare and well-being. There are a range of medical conditions that can be frequently happening uh, in autistic people, for example, epilepsy, gastrointestinal issues, and neurological issues. And in terms of neurological and neurodevelopmental issues, uh, also frequently co-occurring with um, language disorders, tic disorders, uh, learning disorders such as dyslexia, or uh, learning disability, intellectual developmental disorders. Now, in terms of mental health, uh, there was um, a recent uh, meta-analysis done by our group actually showed um, across the different uh, psychiatric conditions in autistic individuals, there are a range of them. For example, on average, 28% of autistic people may have a co-occurring condition of ADHD. 20% of them may have anxiety disorder diagnosis. 13% of them have sleep-wake disorders. 12% of them have other disruptive um, uh, impulse control conditions. 11% of them will have depressive disorders, which usually emerge uh, at, uh, since teenage uh, into adulthood. 9% of them have co-occurring obsessive compulsive disorder. And also, very importantly, 5% of them may develop bipolar disorder and 4% of them may develop schizophrenia spectrum disorders. So these are really uh, much higher uh, prevalence rates compared to what we know in the general population. And the key for addressing the health and well-being for autistic people is really to be aware that the high co-occurrence exists for autistic people. And we need to uh, understand that these conditions present in the context of autism and they should not be uh, viewed as separate conditions and they need to be considered holistically. And in terms of treatment guidelines, there are the suggestion that we should follow what we know in the general population unless we have clear evidence that there are some specific treatment guidelines or pathways uh, applicable to autistic people. Um, now we know that, for example, uh, for uh, ADHD, uh, co-occurring in autism, the general medication and behavior support strategies are similar, but there are considerations for being cautious about how to use medication adequately and starting from low dosage, um, being aware of the increased likelihood of having side effects and so on. And the same uh, applies for anxiety disorders as well. So would you say that improvements needed in the way that psychiatrists, neurologists, and other health professionals work together to meet the needs of autistic people and their families? 
I think the key consideration here is that because of the high core occurring conditions and because of the variety of needs for autistic people and the families, uh, it has to be a multidisciplinary work. The process of finding uh, ways to support autistic people and families needs to be through a shared decision-making and what we call collaborative action planning process. And this is where, again, this duality framework is important because maybe for some people, the challenges primarily lies in with individual learning abilities or communication abilities. But for other people, the challenges may primarily uh, lie within the socio-ecological context. So in that case, the adequate treatment is actually the treatment towards the environment more than towards changing the individual per se. Uh, and this actually varies by individual. So the whole process of shared decision-making uh, is embedded in this dual framework and the consideration of the socio-ecological context. So basically, the, the key message is supporting autistic, visual, autistic individuals and family is not purely a medical issue. Uh, it is a, uh, an issue that also needs to consider the whole socio-ecological context of the individuals and the families. You say that supporting autistic individuals must go beyond the individual to address socio-ecological factors. Uh, explain for us a little bit the importance of optimizing the person-environment fit and uh, maybe an example of how this might be achieved. Uh, for example, we mentioned about in the early intervention context, now we know parent-mediated uh, early intervention is one of the most useful uh, modalities to facilitate the, in, the, the development of the child. This process actually has a presumption that the process actually helps the parents to understand the child's characteristics and to respond to the child's characteristics in a way that suits the child. So the parent-mediated early intervention can actually be viewed as providing an autism-friendly context for the child's development in early years. And uh, the, the other example would be a, a modality of support primarily for autistic adults is uh, vocational support. Now, conventionally, these are provided via um, uh, supported employment, so basically supporting the autistic individuals' uh, uh, occupational performance on site in real time, or uh, interview training for, for job interviews for example. But now we know that there are some examples that also focuses on in, uh, increasing the resources of community and helping the workplace to build better capacity to help autistic individuals and supporting families. So for example, the, uh, the ready, uh, willing and able partnership funded by the government of Canada is a, a great example, uh, focusing not only on the skills of the autistic adults, but also capacity building of the workplace and uh, linking the employers to the potential employees who are on the spectrum. So these are all examples suggesting that supporting autistic people needs to go beyond individuals themselves. So you conclude by outlining five directions for research. So what would you identify as the priorities for future research in this area? So there are actually a, a range of uh, uh, work that needs to be done, and we really only summarize five topics that we think are uh, relatively more important and pressing. So the first one is that autism research and clinical research actually needs to incorporate participatory research moving forward. And this is 
again, very important considering the dual nature of autism. For example, what is the adequate outcome for a uh, intervention model and what's at stake for autistic people, but not based only on the assumption of uh, service providers themselves. So incorporating autistic individuals and families into the whole process of the study design and conduct of the study and uh, identifying the outcomes and the uh, the knowledge translation uh, procedures after that is really critical. And second thing is that um, the uh, intervention literature really needs to take more randomized control trials to examine both the benefit and potential harms of existing and future intervention models. And the third thing is that because we know autism is a heterogeneous um, spectrum of conditions, there isn't really one-size-fits-all intervention models. So, uh, you know, with the uh, idea of moving towards precision medicine, the, the idea of uh, finding the right treatment modalities for a particular autistic individual is critical. So the treatment uh, trials also needs to consider the need of addressing individual differences and heterogeneity. Now, the fourth one is that uh, many of the trials are about efficacy and they are conducted in the research setting. But to what extent these trials can be uh, applicable to the wider communication needs more effectiveness and implementation trials. And uh, there is still a gap of the directions of intervention research that needs to be carried out in the future. And finally, we know autism occurs with lots of other conditions, as we uh, talked about before. So that many of the intervention models or support models need to consider autism alongside other co-occurring conditions. So a transdiagnostic lens also needs to be incorporated for future research of support and intervention for people on the spectrum. It's really interesting and wide-ranging piece of research. I recommend you read it in the New Lancet Neurology Issue, of May 2020. Uh, Dr. Meng Chuan Lai, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much.